Awesome. Let's get into Romans 8. We'll see how much we look at. As I worked on it, I realized there's a lot, there's a lot here. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see. We may stop halfway. Amen? Don't want to overwhelm Blair before he goes on holiday. All right, so Romans 8. If you were with us last week, we looked at, uh, at verses 1 to 11 there. And today we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get through 12 to uh, 17. It's not much, but it's dense. Let's read together. It's up there if you want to read it there. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Very dense passage here. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at a few, uh, few concepts from it. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you, obviously, just for, for even what we looked at last week in regards to, to your spirit. Uh, and Father, we know, uh, you know, obviously, the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is an incredible gift, uh, that we are a privileged people to, to live in the time that we do, uh, you know, having your son already come and, and open up the way for your spirit to dwell among uh, your people. And Father, we pray that you can help us, God, help us to you know, take seriously the, the responsibility we have, God, based on the gift we've been given, God. Help us to see ourselves as we are, both as debtors and your children. And help us to, to be, you know, moved and, and compelled uh, to, to put to death whatever has to do with our earthly nature, God. Father, we, we know we cannot do any of those things apart from your spirit, God. And we do pray that even now, as we, as we talk about these concepts, Father, that your spirit can you know, open up the eyes of our hearts, that it can renew our minds, God, that it can, you know, shed light into our lives so that we can see ourselves uh, with the sobriety and clarity that only your spirit gives. And uh, Father, we really ask you to, 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 to do that now for us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. It is a great passage, look, and, and there are two main concepts, you know, that, that kind of coincide with the main one we've been talking about from last week, even of that of the Spirit, right? And it's mentioned uh, heaps of times in this chapter, 21 times he's talking about the Spirit, uh, you know, but, but here he zooms in and he makes two declarations, basically, verse 12 and verse 16, uh, you know, with, with the second, actually, he says it almost four times in four verses that we are God's children. Uh, but, but he begins the chapter with this, this uh, you know, phrase in NIV and the one we read here. It says we, you know, we have an obligation, but literally that is we are debtors. If you're reading the ESV or a more literal translation, this idea we're debtors, right? Uh, and, of course, it has a therefore, so it's, it's tied to the, to the previous section. And you think about this previous section that we closed out with last week. This was the last very small, I know, but, you know, this is a slide we looked at last time, but if you look back in Romans 8, you know, uh, chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, okay, and it's talking about the work that the Spirit accomplishes there uh, in, in our lives, you know, and uh, you, you think about all the things, right? I mean, if, if, 
I mean, this concept that, that the Spirit of God can live in us. That we can be temples of the living God. That's, that's a profound thought. That's a profound privilege. Right? To, to think that, that if that is the case, if we've been baptized of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts, we belong to Christ now. We are his possession. He has purchased us. He has redeemed us. That's a privileged position. You know, and even there, he says in his verses that, that, that though we are subject to death, right? We, you know, barring the return of Jesus, we are going to die, right? We are mortal still. But even the fact that when we're confronted with our frailty and our, and our mort- mortality, we know we will live. Because the same spirit that, that resurrected Jesus is dwelling within us, and it is, God has promised that he will raise us and give us life once again. Those are incredible promises. Those are incredible thoughts. You know, and, and, and Paul, as he begins to move forward, purposely drops therefore, making sure we don't forget what he's just said. You know, and then even his language is that of, hey, we have an obligation, you are a debtor, right? You have been given heaps, and, and, and those gifts do have, in a sense, strings attached. That we have to make sure we respond in the right way. That we have to make sure that, that our response matches, in some sense, the magnitude of what, being, what we've been given. And, and having this debtor perspective, as you can see there on the bottom of that slide, uh, in yellow, is so crucial to extinguishing a spirit of entitlement from growing within our hearts. And if you don't know what I mean by, by spirit of entitlement... It's any time we, we have these thoughts, and of course, we're, 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 uh, we're church-going people. So we don't say these thoughts out loud, but we do think them, right? We think, you know, God really should give me blank because, I've, you know, I've done blank. You know what I mean? And fill in those blanks because we all have those moments of reasoning where we, where we do think, you know, I mean, surely God will do this. I mean, gosh, I've done this. And it creeps in. And again, we probably don't verbalize it because you've gone to church enough or you know, oh, I probably shouldn't say that out loud, you know, but, but it does, it is in there. You know, we do, I think, you know, we find ourselves at times even trying to barter with God, uh, you know, but, but anytime that creeps in, we've got to think, well, what is that actually telling me? I'm not seeing myself as a debtor. I'm seeing myself as someone who's entitled, as if God owes us something. You know, and he's gonna, Paul's going to smash this point home even further in the next chapter, uh, you know, basically saying, look, it's, God is, you know, it all depends on God's choice. It really actually has nothing to do with you. Some people he chooses uh, to make objects of his wrath, and others he chooses to make objects of, of, of his glory. And, and we can read that, and we can think, oh, my gosh, that seems like the most epically unfair fair dodgeball game ever, right? You're not even choosing based on ability, but that just shows us how entrenched entitlement is in us. You know, Paul will have a response to our response. Basically, you're a lump of clay, so just basically be quiet and let the, let the artist work, okay? We'll, we'll cover that later, you know what I mean? But the, the spirit of entitlement is dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. And we've got to think, is, is it in there, you know? And, uh, look, look in Mark 10. It's a funny, I read this yesterday. And it's a funny instance. At the end of Mark 10, you know, you get the story of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. And I often have read that story uh, on its own, right? You know, Bartimaeus, you know, he's there. 
you know, and his name literally means unclean, and he's, he's there alongside the road, and he, and he hears Jesus coming, and he, he's shouting out, you know, Jesus, you know, uh, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And it's a, it's a great request, but, but let's read it with the previous section as well and look at how these, how these two stories actually play off each other. So back there in Mark 10, verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They didn't have the filters like we have, right? Uh, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. You'll be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John because they beat him to the question. Right? <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority of them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means the son of uh, Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. He's throwing his cloak aside. He jumped his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately received the sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, really, this, this end, of, end of Mark is a story of three blind guys. James, John, and Bartimaeus. The stories are, are tied together, right, in, in a lot of different ways, right? In both accounts, both in verse 35 uh, and again in verses 48 there to, to 50, Jesus is, is confronted with a request, right? In both of them, verse 36 and verse 51, Jesus' response is the same. What do you want me to do for you, right? Uh, they, they, both people want, you know, both parties, both James and John and also Bartimaeus, understand the significance of the guy that they're asking and, and the, the place of authority he has, right? Uh, and so they both say exactly what their hearts desire. James and John, they want positions of, of, of glory and honor, right? Bartimaeus, he just wants to see. He understands he's a man in need of mercy. You know, and it's an interesting thing here because... You know, James and John, obviously, they're, they're the ones that are actually really blind. To think that they can even ask that question. You know, and again, the other disciples, sophisticated, they don't say it, but they get mad when it's asked. But, and, and, and I think it's, it's an interesting thing, because if you, if you know even the story, you know, how the Bible comes together, right? The, the Gospels are written after, right? The letters are all first. They all, you know, the letters were written as the churches were started. And then as the apostles started, you know, getting baptized with the baptism that Jesus is baptized with, which means, you know, uh, martyred, uh, the, the, the church starts thinking, well, we got to, you know, we should probably get some of these guys' eyewitness testimony recorded and circulate that amongst the church because these guys are being killed off one by one, right? 
and, 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 and so you get these, these stories uh, coming back into the church at a later time uh, because with time, what comes in is, is, you know, very similar problems that the disciples had even as they walked with Jesus. And one of those that this story confronts is that spirit of entitlement. That sense of God owes me. God should honor me. I deserve. Right? And, and, and Bartimaeus comes not with that spirit. He comes with an un, I don't deserve. He comes with a debtor mentality, and he gets a yes to his request. The disciples come with an entitlement spirit, and their answer is no, with a rebuke as well. Because they have it so inverted, they're following the way of the world rather than the way of Christ. You know, and, and, and back in our text, you know, I think we, can't, we cannot overlook what Paul says there of uh, that, that verse 12 of, of, of we're debtors. We cannot forget that. We take communion every week and we're challenged to look in. Just like Andrew and Cydia talked about. I mean, we are meant to examine ourselves. And none of us should ever do that practice and come up with nothing. There is always tremendous amount of material for us to look inward and realize, man, I am unworthy. I mean, we sing the song about it being for the unclean. That's us. That's us. That will always be us. And if we don't have a debtor mentality... We will never respond as we should to what he says next. If we don't understand our place, then we're never going to respond as we should. Amen? And so look what he says. And you think about the brutality of this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's, that's such strong language. You've got to kill your sinful nature. You need to crucify your sinful nature. You need to murder your sinful nature, right? Now, that cannot be done apart from the Spirit, without a doubt, right? Uh, you, you'll never have the freedom to make that choice apart from the Spirit. Right? You'll never have the strength, the discipline, uh, the determination to do it apart from the Spirit. But that doesn't absolve us of responsibility. Right? It's merely a tool that, 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 that works alongside us. And his charge that he wants is us to put to, deed, put to death the misdeeds of the body. And this, this has become known over, over church history as mortification, which comes from the Latin word uh, for, for death uh, and to do. Right? So make dead. Debtors make dead. We, we are debtors before God, and what does he want us to do? He wants us to make dead our old self. Make dead our sinful nature. Put to death our sinful nature. And again, it's, it's strong language of how our attitude should be towards our sinful natures. But is it? Is that our attitude towards our sinful? Is that our attitudes toward, towards what's going on inside of us, you know? Because I, I think sometimes we can, I don't know, lose sight of the destructive nature of, of, of sin. Most of us become, we've talked about this a lot, right? Most of us become Christians because we, we live for self and we follow self and we end up uh, depressed uh, and despairing of life. 
And then we, we tracked down that person that seemed really happy that was talking to us about the Bible, and we and were humble enough at that moment to, to listen to the gospel. And then we, 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 we hear the gospel, realize, man, I'm lost, but Jesus loves me. This is awesome. Uh, you know, and and uh, we, we leave behind our old life because we, we are keenly aware of how empty it was. We're happy to put it to death because, you know what, we know, we, man, we know it wasn't delivering. We know that. We've just come out of that. You know, following the ways of the world, pursuing money and, uh, you know, power and, and pleasure. We know that that's empty. But, but year one goes by and we begin to forget. By year three, we become more lax. Year five, year 10, year 15, 20, 30. Do we still remember just how unworthy of life our sinful natures are? And how empty that way of life is? And how that way of life needs to be put to death? Because we forget. We forget. You know, and the illustration I like to use a lot when, even when studying the Bible with people is, you know, I mean, think about this, 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 this picture, this combination between Man, we've been given a great gift and we're meant to respond accordingly. And, you know, I tell people, imagine, imagine yourself, you're a chronic smoker. And, and you end up with lung cancer, uh, you know, and, and Scott's a great guy and he's really generous. And so uh, you ask Scott for a lung transplant, you know, and you, you guys know Scott. If you ask Scott, he's going to give it to you, right? Uh, and so everyone's going to ask Scott now for everything, right? But, but Scott being a generous guy, he is like, all right, fine, I'll give up one lung and, you know be a little bit slower and I won't be able to exercise, but I really like exercise anyway, so win-win, you know, and, and, and he gives you the lung and, and, and you're all of a sudden able to breathe again and live. How ridiculous the thought would be then to go out and light up a cigarette. It's like, it would just be like the opposite conclusion that, that you could possibly come to. It would be ridiculous. Scott would be entitled to come up to you and just slap you, not even say anything, just slap you, right? Because it's such a, a, a uh, callous response to an incredible gift. But Paul here is saying, look, we're, we're debtors. He spent multiple chapters here helping, helping us understand how lost we are, and then we're saved, and he spent multiple chapters helping us understand just how saved we are, and now he's into the nitty-gritty of, well, hey, those two, those two realities of your lostness and the depth of God's grace, when they come together, they should produce in you this drive. This passion to want to put to death anything that stinks of your old self. Anything that stinks of it. But does it? You know, and you think about, you think about this idea, right? And, and, and I've referenced this guy. I just put that book up there for you on that side of the, 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 uh, the room. Uh, Overcoming Temptation. You know, there's a Puritan writer, John Owen, and he's, very, he's kind of difficult to read, but someone has kind of simplified it a little bit into modern language. Uh, and, and put a book out on it. Uh, he's like, you know, when people talk about mortification, uh, he's the one they reference. He's an expert on it, right? Lived in the 16th century in America, right? But, you know, you, you read, you know I've read his writings, and, 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 you know, there's a common thread here of some things he talks about, right? If we're going to mortify our simple natures, we have to we have, to have uh, clear differentiation between what is what is the old self, and what is the new self? I mean, you think, you're going to kill something, right? Cameron had surgery on his ACL the other week, uh, and I jokingly asked him today before church, hoping it would be true, and it was true. And then, uh, you know, do they, did they make you right on the legs? Don't cut this one open, cut this one open. And they did, 
right? And he said the doctor even told him, yeah, they make you do it, but, you know, no one's ever done the wrong thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ten seconds on Google, I found the doctor in America being sued because he amputated the wrong leg, right? Now, he, of course, blames the nurse, nursing staff and so on and so forth, but it does happen, right? But you think if, that's knee surgery. You want to make sure uh, you, you, you repair the right ACL because one's not needing repair and the other one does need repair. Doing the wrong one, obviously, is costly. Uh, you know, and Cameron's American, so there's like a lot of logistics for Cameron. You want to make sure you do the right one. And so you're going to differentiate between which one needs to be dealt with and which one needs to be left alone. That's just knee surgery. If you're going to kill something, if, someone's, if something's going to be put to death, you make sure you have the right one. If you have two dogs and one's sick and one is fine and, you know, one has, it's time to go and it needs to be put down, you've got to make sure you get the right one and take it to the vet because it's death. There's a finality about it. There's a brutality about it. And, and, and you've got to be clear about what is your old self and what is not. You know, and, and I think a lot of times we... And we talked a little bit about this last week, and maybe you did the exercise of, of, of stopping throughout the day and thinking about what you're thinking about. I think a lot of times we, 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 we don't actually want to look at what we really are. We don't want to be confronted with our real self. It's not really a pleasant thought, is it? And it's not one we should be dwelling on all day, every day. Amen? But, but man, we, we do need to be aware of it. We do need to see it. But I think a lot of times we, we practice repression. We put our head in the sand and imagine that there's not evil that exists within us. And, and you think about even what Jesus says, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know it's the right hand, not the left. You know it's the right eye, not the left. And there's theories, some people say it's because it's strong. It, you know which one. You look at it, and you face it, and you see it in its ugliness. And then you respond. But I think a lot of times we don't, we don't even look. You know, and I think some of, you know, sometimes we could even go further. We can reverse good and evil. Prophet Isaiah, he warns about that time. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, and you, you read even the Bible. Humanity's always been skilled at this. I mean, temptation always has an element of it appears good. Right? I mean, Nadine, and our, Nadine messaged me last week about, you know, I mean, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. I mean, so differentiating, man, is, this is really important. Being able to see it with clarity if you're going to respond with the indignation is, is, is important. But man, I think we can sometimes reverse it. And when you consider how important the task is that lies ahead, having clarity is crucial. And I ask you, as I did last week, how well do you know your old self? If the task put before you is to kill that old self, how in touch with that old sinful nature are you? Right? Do you know who it is? Because the next step is, you know, I don't know. I've never killed anyone. Hopefully, I don't know if any of you have, right? Uh, you know, but you think about, and even John Owen talks about this, right? Alicia, you killed somebody? You look kind of skittish. 
I don't know, but even if you're trying to kill an animal, right? I mean, I have chickens, and sometimes the chickens get out, and I want to kill them. Uh, you know, and you try to chase after them, and it's not like, you know, sometimes if you get over them, they do kind of freeze, right? But a lot of times they run. Most animals, right, when they're confronted with, with an apex predator, flee, right? They flee. They run as fast as they can to get away from it, right? Not, you know, very few will just, in the face of it, just passively take, you know, come eat me. Come kill me. When life is at stake, there is always a battle. When it's a life or death fight, it's not, it'll just roll over. And your sinful nature, man, has been, has been fatally defeated. It knows its end is coming. And, and we just think time is going to, to eradicate it. I mean, Paul doesn't say holiness is produced just by waiting. No, no, you, it requires attention. And I think for, for many of us, we, we have made this idea a passive act, as if it's just going to happen. When it's not, it's not a passive act. You spend all your time on, on Netflix. You spend all your time scrolling endlessly on social media. You don't, you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, uh, and you think just over time you're going to become holier? You're joking. I mean, time, your sinful nature given time, not, not attention, is going to grow stronger. It's going to create a zombie apocalypse within you. Right? It's going to become more entrenched. You're going to become more perverted, more you know, deceived, and, and blind even to deal with it. Right? And, and you know, John Owens, again, a quote here, he says, to kill a man or any other living thing is to take away the principle of all his strength, vigor, and power, so that he cannot act or exert or put forth any prop actions of his own. You know, we need to incapacitate our sinful natures. Recognize them for sure. But man, we, we need to begin to chop away the, the roots that grow beneath them. Not just let me stop being angry. No, that's shallow. You're not going to deal with it. You've got to start thinking about what God says to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Right? You can't just look at your lack of commitment in God, to, to, to God and, 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 and godly things like church and Bible study and just think, let me just do it. I mean, you can, but that will not last. You've got to think deeper about, man, I'm worshiping other things. I'm looking to other things to give me life because, man, God is not a priority for me. You know, when we get caught in people-pleasing and, you know, trying to make everyone around us happy and wanting everyone around us to like us. And so we become whatever we think they want us to become. We've got to think about why we do these things. And begin to deal with the deeper roots that lie within us. Because third and lastly, if we're going to be debtors that make debt our sinful nature, I mean, it, it takes annihilation of it, guys. It takes an ongoing process over time of pursuing this way of life that is so contrary to God. I mean, if you look back in, 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 in Romans 8, down, you know, and there in verse 5, and that's a parallel passage with Colossians 3, you know, and Paul tells us there the positive, right? You know, th those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. That's not the positive. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And then again here in the one we've read today, uh, of verse 13, for if you live according to the Spirit, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You know, the, the set your mind on, on the Spirit uh, and the put to death the, 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 you know, by the Spirit the sinful nature, 
both of those are, 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 are uh, in the present tense. Meaning it's not something that's like one and done and finished. It's mean, man, this is the way of the Christian life. A lot of commentators say this, this, this verse here that we're unpacking is, is Paul's call to discipleship. When Jesus turns to those who are following him and says, hey, you want to follow me? You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You want to save your life? Well, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. Because Paul gives the same choice here. He says, hey, if you're going to live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live according to the spirit, you're going to live. But again, it's choice. But it's not like a one and done choice. It's a day in and day out choice. It's, a, it's a every day I've got to wake up and I've got to make a decision. I'm not going to live for Sam. I've got to live for Jesus. Every day I've got to make a decision. Hey, am I going to be controlled in my mind? Is it going to be governed by the ways of the flesh or is it going to be governed by the way of the spirit? And, 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 and think, man, if I'm going to annihilate that sinful nature, it requires attention. It requires effort. Again, John Owen says, men and women do this as well, right? Look upon it as an easy task and as that which will be carried on with a little diligence and ordinary attendance. But do we think it is for nothing that the Holy Spirit expresses the duty of opposing sin and weakening its power by mortification, killing or putting to death? Is there not something special in this beyond any other act or duty of our lives? This is like what we said before. Everything will do its utmost to preserve its life and being. So will sin too. And if it is not constantly pursued with diligence and holy violence, it will escape our salts. Let no man think he can kill sin with a few easy or gentle strokes. It's a challenging concept. And I encourage you. You know, as January comes, comes to a close, you know, wherever you're at, right? If you're, if you're early stages of seeking God, uh, there are always things when we first begin to follow God. There is always aspects of our character uh, that, that begin to rear its ugly head in opposition and defiance. There's things when each one of us studied the Bible before we got baptized that, man, were, were the fiercest battles. You know, if you're in that early stage, you've got to make a decision, hey, let me, let me fight this. I can't just sit back. A passive approach will not get the job done. Right? It's going to take a battle. And for those of you who've been disciples longer, you know, I encourage you to look back on, on, on the last year. And, and man, if there are cyclical sins that you're stuck in, repetitive, you know, patterns uh, of sinful behavior, uh, don't, don't turn a blind eye to it. Don't put your head in the sands with it. If you find yourself, you know, kind of distancing yourself more and more from disciples because they all tend to tell you the same thing, you've got to stop and think. Am I just hiding from something that the Spirit is trying to tell me? Because this entire process cannot be done apart from the Spirit. And you read John 16, one of the chief works of the Spirit is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What we shouldn't be doing, what we should be doing, and the idea that there's consequences for everything. That's one of the chief works of the Spirit. Yeah. And if we're going to put our simple natures to death, man, we've got we to look at it. We've got to see it. You know, and man, if one, you're caught one of those cycles. You gotta, think about it. This is a life or death struggle. This really was me fighting for my life. Would my effort 
be the same. Because we joke about sin sometimes. We laugh about it. It's dangerous. Who wouldn't treat cancer that way? Who wouldn't treat any other potentially fatal illness with that kind of just, yeah, I know I'm that way. What? We've got to have a greater, we've got to have a greater seriousness. Because Paul's charge to us is what? It's to put it to death. You know, and look, we'll, we'll lead the, the more positive aspect to next week, right? Or next time, right? But, but to understand it, man, I'm a debtor. Yes, I'm a child, and we're going to talk about that, amen? But man, I'm a debtor. And, and, and Jesus has endured the cross to deal with my sin. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, in your struggle against sin, have you yet reached the point of shedding your blood? Probably not. And that Hebrews writer is poking at how we, we're a little bit more casual about sin. And I challenge us to, to leave here today with more of Paul's attitude of, hey, I need to put to death my sinful nature. And don't walk out of here thinking you can do it alone. You can only do it by the Spirit. That's the Spirit that, that God gives us is not one of timidity. Right? It's one of power and love and self-discipline. And when we choose to keep in step with the Spirit, man, we can put to death the sinful nature. And we can break these cyclical patterns of sin that we get stuck in. And we, be, we can be, begin to resemble the one we call Lord, which is Jesus. Right? That's the challenge for us this afternoon. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Father, we, uh, you know, we, do, we do thank you, God. We know that, that even this concept is it's confronting. I mean, the, the, the choice that, that, that Paul lays before us, to choose to, to put to death our sinful nature or, or to die, really. And, and Father, we, we pray that you help each one of us to, to leave here today motivated to fight the good fight. To not fight and use our energy to fight with one another, God to have the humility to see that we, we each have so much work to do in our own hearts. That there's so much material that needs confronted in our own minds, God. We pray, God, you help us, God, to, to feel, you know, obviously so much gratitude for what you have done, that we are compelled uh, to wage war against our old self, to take captive any, any thought that, that runs through our mind that, that's contrary to your will, Father. To, to measure, you know, to, to restrain even our emotional reactions and see how they align with your reactions. And to choose, God, to, to say no to self. To choose to deny ourselves. To choose to, to you know, in some sense, even purge from our minds the, the ways and the perspectives that are contrary to your will and instead, you know, just through rort meditation, Memorize your word and your ways and your will, Father. And we pray you help us, God. Help us in this battle to, to put to death our sinful nature, God. Help us to, to differentiate, to see with just great clarity, God, our own sin. Help us to, to, to be willing to put the effort in, to, to incapacitate it, to, to not just look at the surface, to not just chop at branches, but to really get to the root of the matter, the depths of our heart, God, and our soul. And Father, we, we pray that you help us to, to never you know, fall short in our pursuit, never just try to manage sin 
or to compartmentalize it, God, but to really annihilate it from our souls, God. We know it's a task that, that is, is full of danger and is a task that, that, you know, if we're sober about it, we'll never complete. But, Father, we know that even now in this life, it's the only path to life, God, that we can begin to live our lives in the way you've intended, God. Help us in this endeavor, God. Pour out just massive amount of grace and mercy on us, God, as we go about this task. Uh, and give us the strength and courage to, 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 to put to death our sinful nature. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.